So we're talking about Hebrews and the fact that the Lord Jesus is an anchor for the soul. Where I really got this theme concept was from this verse that we're gonna memorize for chapter six. Let me remind you what we're gonna do. I've got three messages prepared for Hebrews six, two of which are two of the hardest messages I've actually ever written. And I'm gonna start today and finish next week and then one more message from chapter six. Then we're gonna break through the holidays. January, as soon as January starts, I am back in Genesis. We're gonna get to some really cool stories with Noah and the flood and all of that following and what happened in that narrative and then we're gonna do episodic because if I did 50 chapters verse by verse, I'd be dead. Uh, literally, I would die before I finished. So I think uh, we're gonna do episodic, but I am gonna hit some really main narratives throughout and we'll be in Genesis for a good part of the first of next year. Then we're gonna come back to Hebrews. I'm gonna finish this book. I'm gonna preach the whole book because I think it's important to lay into something you know, I was told in school, you can't do more than five, six weeks. You gotta do sermon series that are short and packaged well and marketed. And I'm thinking, man, that's hogwash. You just preach the truth of God's word. If people wanna come, they'll come. If they wanna listen, they'll listen. Listen, y'all watched a game last night, didn't you? We watched a game when we came back up from Atlanta. I mean, we had it on the charter bus, hundred of us coming back from Atlanta last night watching the game. You do what you wanna do. You listen to what you wanna listen to. And just cause I try to package something all cutesy, that's no good. So I'm not very cutesy. You're just gonna get into it and we're gonna figure out what Hebrews 6.19 is saying. Look at this, y'all say this with me. This is a great verse, ready? This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. Now what in the world does that mean? A hope enters the presence? Well, that's obviously talking about Jesus Christ who gives us access to God for when he was on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent, torn from top to bottom. If you want access to God, you go through the anchor of the soul, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna review because we've been out of here for a while. We took these hundred wonderful folks. You know, at first we were gonna take 200 and we decided to cut it at 100. And I'm gonna tell you straight, I praise God Almighty, we cut it at 100. It was awesome, they were great, but running back and forth and teaching and doing all of this, I really got to some places where I could hardly speak because it's so powerful. I love what Mike said last week. I got to listen to his message coming back. Actually, the game was on, but I was watching Mike in the service last week. Mary Beth, holy smoke. Did y'all hear that song she wrote? It was incredible. What a gifted group of young people we have. Yeah, um, Pastor Mike delivered you a fantastic word from the word, but here's the dude. He's talking about we don't worship a place. He's 100% right. He's absolutely right. But I'm gonna just tell you right now, when your feet stand where Jesus' feet were and when you sail the water Jesus sailed and when you see what Jesus saw, you have a deeper love and appreciation for the word of God and the God of the word. And I wanna encourage you every year, assuming there are no more global pandemics, every year we're gonna to try to take a spiritual development trip. I would encourage you to consider taking some savings and considering setting it aside. We may do uh, the Churches of Revelation. We may do Steps of the Apostles, Greece, and some land and sea things. We're gonna try to do this because I want you as a Christian to grow in your faith. I want you to see things, hear things, taste things, experience things, to know more, to get the context of what the scripture's teaching. We're not worshiping those places. It was sad, in fact, in places. I saw people bending down, kissing rocks. I saw them taking their handkerchiefs and other things and rubbing them on these rocks for a blessing. 
Listen, man, I don't have to rub a rock. I'm going to praise Jesus more so that rock doesn't cry out, right? And so I don't worship any of that. But I will say to you that if you have an opportunity in the future, strongly consider going with us. I promise you, you will not regret it. And uh, it was an incredible opportunity. So thank you for praying. I want to do a quick review right here. Chapter one, I ask you two questions. First question was, what's, um, who's the goat? Y'all remember that? Greatest of all time. Is it Tom Brady? Oh, no. I just heard he got divorced, y'all. My wife just told me that. Do you know what that means to me? You can have all the rings. You can have all the accolades. You can have all the accomplishment. You can have a supermodel wife. But if you don't have Christ as the core of your marriage, you don't have anything. And so I want to remind us today that it's not about the externals. It's about what we possess, not what we profess. We'll talk about that. But we said, who's the goat? And we discovered it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Then I ask a question, what's up with angels? We studied angels for a few weeks. And I said that Jesus is superior to the angels in every way. I ask another question in chapter two. I ask you, who's at the helm? Who is driving the ship of your life? If it's you, you're headed for disaster. If it's Jesus, you're on the right path. I said in chapter three, we took a little turn and did a, an 80s song. Don't stop believing. Are you to hold on to that feeling? No, hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter four, I said, we need to enter God's rest. We have a confident faith in the gospel and a consistent obedience to God's word. And then through the end of four, all the way through five, we talked about Jesus as our perfect high priest. I said that he is a supreme high priest and sympathetic, sinless, and selected. He is the priest king who is not only all of those things, but he suffered for us. He saves us. And therefore, we should mature in our faith and share the scriptures and learn to discern good and evil. Now, with that in mind, we come to one of the most challenging sections in all of the Bible. There are theologians that would say what we're going to read today is the hardest section of Scripture to interpret, bar none. I know many a man that will not preach the book of Hebrews because he's scared to death of chapter 6. In seminary, I remember 20 years ago in New Testament theology, some of you guys are in seminary, I remember fleshing out this text. I remember coming back to this a while back, trying to dig in and prepare for this particular message and spending more time than any other message to try to flesh this out and make it clear for you what the possible positions are, the interpretations from least likely to most likely. People that love God and believe the book disagree on some of these things, but I'm gonna give you what I believe is the most accurate understanding of this. Now, I have to paint with a broad brush. I could literally spend the rest of the year in these eight verses and not unpack it all. I have that many notes typed and printed from study, hundreds and hundreds of pages of things that talk about these verses of scripture. But the way I'm gonna boil it down, and one of my favorite images we've ever had for a sermon slide background is this one. I'm gonna break it down like this. Professors, profess, not teachers, but profession. Professors or possessors. Do y'all see that cool image in the middle? What would you call that in the middle of the image? Yeah, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Isn't that a cool image? We saw a lot of sheep when we were there. A lot of shepherds really opened our eyes to sheep and shepherds of that day and how much they needed green pastures and still water. But of course, we've talked about this. We've talked about church and things and having wolf in sheep's clothing, but I really want to get you to think about this. If you are a professor, are you also a possessor? You can be a professor without being a possessor. You cannot be a possessor without being a professor. 
I need you to process that with me for just a minute. And I want to see if we can take a little survey. And I am going to ask you to raise your hands. Do you know anyone that made a profession of faith? I'm a Christian. I've trusted Christ. Do you know anyone that made a profession of faith, but then seemed to abandon that Christian faith later? Yes. Okay. Raise your hand. I want to see them. That's almost everybody in the room. In fact, I think everybody but maybe a few, handful of children. I know a lot of people, a lot of people that have walked an aisle, signed a card, gone through a class, gotten baptized, or I would argue got wet. They did all the stuff, joined the church, some taught Sunday school, some went up in the choir, some played for the Lord, sang for the Lord. Then all of a sudden, it's like they're pilot. They've washed their hands of Jesus and they've walked away and they've abandoned the faith. In fact, some have even become antagonistic to the faith. Unbiblical, even anti-biblical. Preachers, yeah, you, you just nailed it. Preachers, worship leaders. Very well-known worship leaders that have come out and said, I didn't really believe that, I've abandoned that, and I abstain from all of that now. I'm an agnostic or many a hardcore atheist. How is this possible? It's possible because of this. Professors or possessors. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Now look, on a quick reading, it's not gonna make sense. I get it. We gotta dig it out. We gotta dig it out. Here we go, therefore, why is that there? Well, what's the context? End of chapter five, he said, quit drinking milk. Get on the meat. It's time to grow up. It's time to learn the weightier things. Look, you're just unskilled, but you need solid food. You need discernment. Therefore, remember, there's no chapters, no verses in the original. When the letter was written by the author to the audience, there was just a letter. And he says, now therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Brother, if you came to grace today for a David and Goliath feel good story, you're in the wrong place because we're about to dig deep. We're about to go down. And if you want felt board Christianity, this ain't gonna be the place for you because we're gonna dig deeper than that. In fact, I believe that we as a church must continue to aim at depth and God will give width. But churches that are aiming purely at width will almost always miss depth. I repeat it because it's worth repeating. He says, let us, let us leave the discussion of elementary principles of Christ and go on to maturity. It's translated perfection in the New King James, but the Greek word underlying is really to be more mature, not laying again, not putting down the same foundation of what? What foundation, writer? Uh, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, we'll unpack that. Not putting down again the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands or of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We've talked about that. We've talked about that. We're not going to lay that down again. Have you ever been to a church where you heard the gospel every week and he told you how to be saved every week, but it's all you ever heard? And as a Christian, you're going, where's the rest of it? I'm a Christian. I know Jesus. Now give me more. It's important to share Jesus every week, but it is important for Christ followers to grow deeper with Jesus every week. Mike did a great job expounding that. Grow, worship, know God, know the word. And he says, look, we're going to set this aside. We'll do this. This we will do if God permits. Four, this is the part that gets really janky for folks. They get all hung up and don't know what's being said. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Now remember, he said, it's impossible if they fall away, or you could translate, if they have fallen away, 
It's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are just a few statements. Pastors and theologians and Christians have worked to interpret and spent a lot of time on over the centuries. And I believe some have come to fair interpretations, but some have held some crazy interpretations. And I pray that we would consider text within context so that it's not a proof text and we're not reading our opinion into it, but we are seeing in its proper setting what it really meant then and there to know what it really means here and now. Let us bridge the cultural, linguistic, historical gap with accuracy. And God, you know, I need a touch today. I need an anointing from you to even get through. The physical body is weak, but I believe the spirit is willing and so I'm asking you, God, to speak and do what only you can do and just make there be a surge of truth here so that people don't just gain a head knowledge, but there is a heart more inclined to Christ this hour than when we walk through the doors as the gathered body. Bless us now as we study your word in depth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys and be seated. Verses one to three, let me give you the layout here as we evaluate our own relationship with Christ and ask the question, am I a professor or a possessor? First, true followers of Christ must grow beyond the ABCs of faith and graduate from spiritual elementary school. We have students all the time at GCA and in other institutions all around, even from middle school forward, they're studying greater math. They're getting on up into trigonometry and calculus they're studying anatomy, they're studying physics and chemistry, they're studying English at high levels and reading great classics. And we bring them in the church and we, we look at these teens or young adults and we say, oh, let's talk about David and Goliath. And we think we can baby them and by babying them and stuffing them full of pizza, somehow they're gonna grow with Jesus. That is not true. We've got a generation that is seeking the face of God, a generation of young men and young women who want to grow deep with the Lord and we get to be a church and we get to be a school that pours Jesus into them at a deeper level so that when the naysayers out there say, oh, this is wrong and that is wrong, they can stand boldly and say, no, the word of God is true and I'll show you how it's true. What do you wanna know? I want a generation that loves God and is able to apologetic, defend his word with reason, with rational thinking, not blind faith. My God is not a God of blind faith. There are six statements of elementary doctrines that are presented. They're coupled in twos. Let me see if I can unpack this very simply. The coming of Jesus Christ had provided a fresh understanding of many truths already contained in the Old Testament. Surely the Jewish Christians that the writer of Hebrews is addressing knew these great truths. They could have yielded gradually to pressures out of compromise for fear of persecution. Let's remember, Emperor Nero is ruling. He's, he's tightening the screws on Christians. It's okay to be a Jew. Jews are not really trying to get more Jews. 
Jews are not proselytizing. Jews are not evangelizing. It really never has been their way. That's not their goal. That's not what they're called to do. But Jesus' call is this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Jews didn't have a great commission like that, but the Christians did. And so Nero is upset. He's murdering believers left and right, and they're beginning to look out and say, maybe we should go back into Judaism. This Christian thing is not safe. It's not good to be a Christian in these days. Maybe you're starting to feel that way. They may not eat us up with lions, but cancel culture's coming for true children of God. And so here's the deal. They could have surrendered their Christian distinctives and yet tried to act like they were being repentant and have faith and still go through their religious washings of baptism and laying on of hands and talk about resurrection and judgment. But what the writer is saying here is don't go back. Now you guys already understand repentance and faith, do you not? Metanoieo, change your mind. Don't do a 360, that's turning in circles, right? I can't do that too many times or I'm gonna fall off the stage. Just 180, you're going this way, you think you can save yourself, you think you're good enough, smart enough, give enough, go to church enough or synagogue or whatever it is. No, metanoieo means I've changed my mind. In my sin, I cannot save myself. I must trust Jesus as my savior. I walk with him, I talk with him. He tells me I'm his own. He leads me, he guides me, he is my good shepherd. I know him and he knows me. And so you understand repentance. You understand it's a gift from God. You understand faith. Faith is belief. It is active belief. I believe who God is. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus died for my sins and yours. I believe he was buried in a borrowed tomb. We saw one very much like it the other day. I believe he was resurrected by the power of God on the third day. I believe he sits at the right hand of God, mediating right now for you and for me. I believe he is very soon coming again to break the eastern sky and to call all true believers home. I believe that if you know Jesus, you get to spend eternity in heaven with God Almighty, walking golden streets, getting the keys to a mansion. You really don't need keys because nobody's going to steal nothing. But here's the deal. I believe Jesus is is the only way. I believe it. Now, I know some of y'all believe it. And if you believe it, then okay, what now? How do we move on? We've talked about repentance. We've talked about faith. And we should continue to talk about it. But look, you know baptism. Baptism is showing on the outside what God's done on the inside. It is being crucified with Christ, buried with him in the likeness of his death, Romans 6 says, and raised to walk in newness of life. You know it is an identifier, not a savior. It doesn't save, but it shows. It shows what God has done. You even understand the basics of laying on of hands. It says, we're setting you apart. We're blessing you, pastor, deacon, person that's sick. We're laying on hands. We're, we're asking God to bless you and we're showing physically. We're not doing some weird voodoo magic stuff. We're just showing, I love you, I'm around you. My guys that pray with me every Sunday, man, I love those guys. They come around and and they get hands on and they say, bless the pastor, bless the church today. And we see God working through the prayers of his people. You get that. You get these elementary things. You, You even understand resurrection of the dead and final judgment. The writer here is saying, look, quit talking about the same thing. You know that people are resurrected to life with God or resurrected to damnation away from God. The Jews believed that, by the way. 
That's why if you look at the Eastern Gate where their Messiah is coming, our Messiah we know is Jesus, but they have populated the Mount of Olives, all but just down at the, the church, the international church, which represents the Garden of Gethsemane. All the rest of the Mount of Olives is full of thousands of Jewish tombs. There are just a few slots of that left and 90,000 US dollars can buy you a slot, give or take outside of the Eastern Gate of Jerusalem because the Jews believe that when their Messiah comes, and he's already come, but they believe that they'll be resurrected. Jews believe in that, but they don't understand that Jesus is their Messiah, that they must trust him as Lord and Savior. And he says, look, you believe in resurrection of the dead, good, good. In fact, he said, you believe in final judgment. Jews believe that too, that there's a final judgment. There's gonna be, you're gonna be judged by being robed in the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, he says, enter, enter the joy of the Lord. He says, you've done well, my good and faithful servant. Now enter the joy of the Lord. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. God is gonna welcome those who are in Christ. Or if you're not robed in Christ, you'll be robed in your own works. The Bible calls those wood, hay, and stubble. He says they will be burned up and you will forever be separated from God. You are either saved today or you are lost today. There is no gray matter, no in between. And the writer is saying, understand these things, but understand more than these things. You have laid the foundation. You know the ABCs. Let us move on. God will let you move on if you're willing. Your kids can't stay in elementary school forever. It's hard to believe of our four kids. Now we have two through college and one senior and one junior. We cannot grow in our Christian walk with Sunday school Bible stories our whole lives. Too many pastors and too many folks in church are content with hearing the same narratives over and over. And I love narratives. I love narrative preaching. Genesis is full of one that's story preaching, one story after another. Mike did a great job with the narrative last week, but I'm telling you right now, just narratives won't get it done. You gotta dig into the deep theological sections of scripture. You got to go where many are not willing to go. You gotta unpack what God is saying and then apply it to your life. There's a time and a place to unpack the narratives. We'll be back in Genesis doing that. But there's a time and a place to grow beyond. It's like my golf game or lack thereof. When I served in my first church, I was a, an associate education and worship guy. I kind of wore all three hats because it was smaller and my senior pastor loved to play golf. About that time, my father was starting to pick up golf and because we lived close, about once a week I would go and we would play a round of golf. And I loved that time with my father and the pastor and we normally take a member or two or sometimes another foursome and, and we got to play and I got to be, you know, in mid 80s, low 80s some days pretty consistent, playing these big cow pasture, easy golf courses. And then seminary comes along and I'm getting further and further in the PhD program. And then we move to Dobson and I'm a senior pastor for the first time. And, and I don't have time to play golf. So we go down to Florida and I have to literally clean my golf clubs up because they're so gross. I clean them up when some of the pastors said, let's go play around the golf. And I said, it's been a long time. And we got out there and y'all, I'm telling you, I got my money's worth, man. I swung more than anybody's probably ever swung on a golf course. <laughs> and because I really didn't care, we cut up and had a good time. And, and then I put them back in the garage. 
This is a true story. I literally didn't touch him again for five years. Then I'm preaching a few years ago. A buddy of mine in Kentucky says, bring your clubs up. I got a nice golf course near, near the house. We'll play one day. So I said, okay, and I am not making this up. We start walking first hole. I feel something's wrong with my shoes, my golf shoes that I've had going on 20 years. And all of a sudden, right there on my feet, they are dry rotting off in live time, literally splitting apart. By the time we made hole three, I had duct tape all over my feet, y'all. And of course he laughed and we cut up. And again, I swung more than you should. I mean, with 50 mulligans or something, I just kept swinging and swinging because golf's just not my thing. If I could shoot it with a shotgun, maybe I'd like golf, you know, maybe it'd be a fun sport, but it's not my thing. Why? I like it, but I don't practice. I don't spend any time trying. And golf's one of those funny things that if you take time off, you can lose the fundamentals quickly. It's not like riding a bike, y'all. And neither is your faith. Neither is your faith. Without working out your salvation in fear and trembling, you are regressing. You will be forever an infant in the family of faith if you don't actively move toward God. There is no such thing as stagnation in the Christian life. You are actively pursuing the Lord or you are drifting away. That's why we need an anchor. You are moving toward or you are moving back. And so I'm begging you, have a desire to grow and move from elementary school, which leads me to four possible interpretations, four primary, I shouldn't say that, four primary interpretations of the next few verses. Now what I've done is taken, there are a bunch of interpretations and nuances of those interpretations. I'm gonna give you the four most common and I'm gonna give them to you in order from least likely to most likely. I'm gonna use four P words because as a preacher, every once in a while you just have to alliterate. Plus these words work and they worked even in the Holy Land. We were looking for instance at the supposed tomb of King David. Well, it was preposterous. It couldn't have been the tomb of King David because it wasn't anywhere close to the right area where David's kingdom would have been at the time. It wouldn't have been up on the main hill near the holy city today, it would have been down further south. That being said, even the guides are like, yeah, this is traditional, but it really can't be right. And so what we're going to start with is the preposterous position. It's impossible. It can't be, but there are groups that hold to it and there are groups that hold the variants of it. In fact, I would argue most of the groups that arose in Christianity in the 20th century and on into the early part of the 21st, these anomalous groups, they are holding to some form of number one and it's wrong. It's just wrong, it's preposterous, but it is the interpretation that you'll get if you only read the text once and you take a surface level approach. If you read it without thinking and understanding text within larger context, you will land here, but I don't want you to. Next week, we'll pick up interpretations two, three, and four. I'm gonna say the next one is possible, like 50-50, right? Don't you love it when the forecast calls for 50% rain? No offense, Matt Hinkin, but y'all can't do that to us because it means nothing. I mean, at least give me 51% or 49, but 50-50. So this one is uh, it's possible. The third interpretation I'll give you is plausible, meaning it's about 75%. It's plausible, it makes sense. Good Christians, solid believers may believe this. And then the final position that I'm gonna lean into, and that I would argue that a lot of your conservative um, biblical inerrantist, meaning the Bible is truth without any mixture of error. I believe a lot of conservative biblical inerrantists today in the evangelical world would hold to this position and it is not preposterous, possible, or plausible. It is probable. And we'll unpack it next week. But for today, 
Let's talk about the preposterous position. What does it mean? It means with a trite reading or a quick reading, you would see that this text says you are genuinely saved, then eternally lost. But not like the Pentecostals are charismatic. Save, lost, save, lost, save, lost, save, lost. That is never, ever, ever articulated in the Bible. This position out of Hebrews 6 is saved, lost, and if you are honest with your interpretation, then it means there's no possibility of being saved again. No possibility. That's the most simple, straightforward, off-the-surface reading of the text. Listen to it again. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Oh, surely they're saved. Surely they've, they've tasted the good word of God. It's impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. No, no, no. Now they're condemned. Now they're like the briars and thorns. Now they burn. That's the trite off the surface, top level reading. The problem is it absolutely doesn't accord with the Bible, including the rest of Hebrews chapter six, including this very section of scripture. Some see this as a warning here that a true Christian can lose their salvation. They can be born again and then unborn again. The position would contradict much of the New Testament. What is the first rule of proper biblical interpretation? I've got some hermeneutical scholars that are going to school over here. What is the first rule of proper biblical interpretation? The art of interpreting. What's the first rule, gentlemen? Scripture interprets scripture. Yeah, Justin, if you got that wrong, I was calling one of your professors. <laughs> scripture interprets scripture. What do I mean? Okay, we moved to Dobson, North Carolina. I'm being my first senior pastor. We take little Hannah. Little Hannah's born when we're up there, not too long after we start that ministry. And so we take her to the nursery. She's maybe a month old, maybe, because Cindy's doing other ministry and I'm obviously preaching and teaching. And so we take her and the ladies of the nursery are so sweet. She's this precious little lump. And they say, oh, Hannah is so smart. I'm going... She poops in her diaper, she drools on herself, and she cries for milk. How, what, she's so smart? And over and over they told us this. Oh, every week, she's so smart. And I'm thinking, well, y'all see something I don't, because when they're that little, I mean, they're not doing anything. What we came to discover, because we had to ask somebody, when you say she's smart, what they meant was she's contented. And she was a contented baby. When she was little, she was content. Now, she got a little cray-cray later. I'm going to just tell y'all, I love her. No, but Hannah was a contented baby. She really was. She was a sweet little baby. And you just lay her down and she was just good. So they said smart and I thought intelligent, obviously. How do you know this? And they, probably because she takes after her mom. Well, no, they meant content. When you come to this section of scripture, if you think you can be lost and saved, I'm sorry, saved and then lost and you never can be saved, then tell me what this means, John 10, from the lips of Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. That's clearly salvation. And they shall never perish. That's John 3, 16 stuff. And neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And my father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Tell me what that means. Romans 1, For the gifts and the calling of God. And contextually, it's the calling of salvation. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. 
Well, Philippians 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, Paul said, that he who has begun a good work in you will absolutely will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Tell me what that means. And I've just given you three of many, many others. Essentially, all groups that claim you can be lost after being truly saved don't consistently hold to the view that you can never be saved again. Here's what they do. They say, oh, you can be saved now, but if you make a mistake or mess up, then you're lost again. I interviewed a guy once like this for my staff. Obviously, I didn't hire him. But I asked him the question, I said, brother, you've been preaching a long time. And I said, down here we have a dangerous intersection. You know Jesus, are you saved? He said, yes, sir, I'm saved, I know the Lord. And I said, so you go through that dangerous intersection, 18 wheeler whacks you, and right before he whacks you, you cry out and use God's name in vain. And let's be honest, we might have a tendency to do that. You inappropriately use the name of God. Boom, instantly you're killed, where do you go? Oh, I go to hell. I said, what? Well, yeah, that's a sin and I didn't have time to repent for it. He didn't understand that when Jesus said to tell us die, he meant all of his sin, past, present, and future was covered. All of his sin was paid for and he didn't get that. And so what he thought was I can be saved today, lost tomorrow. Saved this minute, lost the next minute. Then do you have to get baptized again? Many in the tradition say yes. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have used a bad word or had a bad thought in the last seven days? Now, if you didn't just raise your hand, you're a liar and you're going to hell if you believe this. You following me, church? All of us. So let's go, line up. Let's go to the baptistry. Line up. Every one of you got to get dunked again. Man, our stats are going to look good this year. It's a crazy position. It's a preposterous position. There may be many verses in scripture that assume the true believer, there are many verses in scripture that assume a true believer can never be lost. In fact, one of the greatest arguments for security is in the very last section of this chapter, but I don't have time to get it, I'll get it in a few weeks. The writer of Hebrews is not giving you and me an essay on the security of believers but he's not contradicting other inspired scripture. So I want you to leave today with great confidence. We had some people coming forward today to say in the first service, I want that confidence. I'm not sure that I know. Man, don't you leave without knowing. You can know, you can know that you know, that you know. I kept asking that all week with 100 people traveling. I kept saying, now listen group, do you know that you know that you know? Where your passport is, because you can't travel without it. I said it over and over and over. And I know that we're tired of hearing it, but you gotta have that. Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is your savior? Do you know? I don't mean yes, praise the Lord. That's a little gift card from some Turkish airport, uh, some Turkish gift shop. I, I, you don't say I got my ticket stamped. Jesus is Lord and savior, man. I can put that thing up and I can hide it away and now I can act like the devil, praise God. That ain't the way this works now. That's not at all the way this works. The way this works is I have met Jesus. I have been transformed. I am continuing to be metamorphosized. I am being made more in his image this week than last week. And then the week before, I love the Lord and I'm learning and I'm growing. And yes, I fall down, but my father picks me up. Yes, I make mistakes, but God forgives and moves on because he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me. Because when Jesus paid it all, that's what he did. He paid it all and all to 
him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. You know what I've taught my kids about this? This is what I've taught many people that I've had the joy of seeing come to Jesus. Let me tell you what I taught them. John 3, 16. Y'all know John 3, 16? For God so loved the world, he gave. Who did he give? His only begotten son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him, believes in him. I, okay, that's elementary. I have faith because God gave me that gift of faith. I believe in him. I shall not perish. That means to be separated from God forever. It doesn't mean physical death. It means separation from God. I shall not perish, but I shall have what? Everlasting life. Can I ask you a really difficult question? How long does everlasting life last? <laughs> everlasting, eternal, forever. So I'll ask my children when they got saved, so how long are you gonna be saved? Well, as long as eternity lasts, forever and ever and ever. You say, I don't feel like it. I didn't ask how you felt. It's not about your feelings. Have you truly trusted Christ? In other words, have you repented? Have you expressed faith? Have you said yes to public baptism so you have followed Jesus as he told you to do? He commanded it. Have you really understood that there's a resurrection coming and judgment? And do you know that you stand completely safe in the arms of Jesus? Assurance must not deteriorate into apathy. Yes, Baptist. Yes, Baptist, and then I'm all, all y'all other traditions. Once saved, always saved, absolutely. But assurance must not deteriorate into apathy. There is the truth of perseverance of the saints. True believers persevere. True believers endure to the end. True believers don't walk away from the faith forever. True believers may backslide for a season, but they will never deny Jesus forever. We gotta move on from the ABCs and graduate. Now let me finish with this, guys, because next week we're going to really, this wasn't all that deep. We're about to dive deeper next week into two, three, four. But let me tell you the differences. We, we came in uh, this morning. After being gone 12 days, my wife kept saying this trip, we've, we've just missed a quarter of Sophia's life. A quarter of her life. And I'm like, woman, what do you want me to do? I can't, I didn't say that. Y'all know better than that. Um, <laughs> But she's right. They sent us some pictures and I'm like, holy smoke, she's changing already. And then she started smiling while we were gone. And Cindy said, she won't even know her, Gma. She won't even know her, but she knew her this morning. And so we hear somebody say, hey, Lucy. And so immediately Cindy pushes me out of the way. This is the truth. She pushed me out of the way to get in the hall before me. And Lucy came up and gave her a big hug. And she just started jabbering. Bah, 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 bah. She had been to Dollywood yesterday. She'd been to Dollywood. She said, blah, 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 blah. well, Sophia didn't do that. But when they took Sophia out of the little carrier thing, I think they should make those for adults, by the way. But when she took her out and she held her, Gma got her first smile face to face from little Sophia today, right there. And she smiled. And then your heart just melts. And then after she finally let me have my turn, I got to see the girls. But if Lucy, at almost three, had been in a little carrier, and if we had to keep trying to get Lucy to smile and that was all she did, would everything be okay? Or would we agree, and I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm trying to be honest, would we agree that something's developmentally wrong? Would we agree that there's something maybe mentally 
or otherwise physiologically that's just not connecting, if all Miss Lucy could do, because she's been jabbering, she's been walking since she was tiny and jabbering and all smart like her G-mon, her parents, but she's, she does all of these things now. Man, Christmas, Christmas this year, y'all, it's gonna be a blast with her. But with Sophia, I mean, she's a cute little lump, but she's not gonna know. We were talking about this in the airport, coming back. We were getting things this week for the kids. We got them a few, a few uh, you know, trinkets and, and souvenirs. And we were, she was saying, should we get something for Sophia? Why are you gonna waste my money? No! What's she gonna do? Chew on some olive wood carving or something? She doesn't know what, no! So to be honest, we didn't get anything for her. But for Lucy, oh, oh yeah, buddy. Yeah, we did. And all the kids, and even Parker. We did. Man, you're gonna be amazed. You're gonna be amazed. I'm just telling you right now. We expect growth. We expect maturity. And listen, when we don't get it, we say something's wrong. Why would it be any different when we walk with Jesus in our understanding of faith? Why would it be any different? And yet, and I'm so happy with the group of people we had. They were awesome. Every age represented from eight years old to 80. It was awesome. But I was scared to death. You go with 100 people, and sometimes those that profess Christ still need a diaper change. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah, is anybody following me? Sometimes they... <laughs> and they still... You want to see that again? It's a skill, it's a skill. Look, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes grown people, sometimes people that say they've walked with Jesus decades longer than I've been alive still have dirty diapers. Ain't nobody got time for that. It's time to grow up. And it's time to ask yourself, let the Holy Spirit confirm in your heart, am I a professor? Do I just talk the talk? Or am I a possessor? Is my Lord living right here? Stand with me as we go to him. Now look, I'm tired. And if anything didn't make sense, chalk it up to jet lag. Listen, here's the thing. I didn't say Moses built the ark, did I? I've said that before. Okay, listen, I need you to do something now. I need you to do something. I believe in the power of prayer. We had a sweet gal on our trip that really did have a scare. She had some heart issues and we, some precious people stayed back with her. God knows who they are. They're just amazing people. They stayed back the other day and we prayed, man. We lifted her before God and God touched her and she was okay and she was able to fly back with us. I didn't want to leave anybody. I wanted to be 100%. And so we got everybody back safe and God touched her. I believe that God hears and wants to answer his prayer. And just about every hand in this room shot up when I said, do you know somebody who's professed faith and then walked away? Now listen, if they're still alive, if they're dead, their, their eternity's set. And only God knows their eternal destination. But here's the deal. If they're alive, when I raise my hand, I'm thinking about somebody. I'm praying for somebody by name. And if somebody you know has made a profession, but they don't seem to have the possession, I'm gonna ask you to move from where you are just a second.
I'm gonna ask you to come on this holy day to a holy altar, to a holy God, and I'm gonna ask you to pray. And I know, I know, I know it's not the place. God's real there, God's real here. But sometimes God wants us to change our posture in prayer. Sometimes God wants us to come before him and move and let the outside reflect the inside. So a lot of people were praying. You might be standing there thinking, I wonder if they're praying for me. Well, you can get it right today. You can nail it down today. I'm gonna be over here, Miss Cindy, pastors, counselors. Man, we were smoking at the last service. A lot of people were coming. Praise God. If you need to come and nail it down, nail it down. But don't you walk out of here making a profession if you're not certain that you have the possession of Jesus within. When I pray, the altar's open, start moving.